Hello, my name's Justin LeClue. I'm Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And today, we have a very special guest. <laughs> I don't know, Matthew, what would you call yourself? Um, I'd call myself, uh, you know, a lone wolf. A trickster spirit. <laughs> a, a trickster spirit. Co-host uh, of the Loose Cannons a, a podcast. Lover, don't forget lover. Okay. Skilled lover. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And yes, I'm in fact co-host of the Loose Cannons podcast uh, with uh, you, Justin, which I'm, I'm sure... All, what, 12, 13 listeners of the, the uh, Import Cinema, Cinema Club already listened to. Well, we brought you on, Matthew, because we're talking about garbage that we watched as kids. And, and by, I'm like, by the garbage. Way, your presence has excited him so much that he fucked up the intro. <laughs> Normally he goes, I've just a clue and I'm here today with. <laughs> oh, I completely forgot. But it's, it doesn't matter. We're too late. Yeah, yeah it's too late. We're not going to re-record. But you know that the fans noticed. <laughs> like they, they made a little note but, on the but, wiki page. But wait, Will Sloan, isn't that more a loose cannons thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Is Will Sloan the interloper in this situation? <laughs> Am I going to be pushed out of my own podcast? <laughs> yeah, so, I'm a cuckoo motherfucker and you get pushed right out of this nest. You know, I should have never like tried to heal this rift. <laughs> tried to stop the feud i should never have put out my hand in peace as i like to point it out on the last episode this feud never existed because yeah. matthew has never mentioned but, the podcast you're, you're lying there on the ground at the bottom of the tree <laughs> and justin just spraying his mama bird puke right in my mouth and i'm loving it so wow. we watched a bunch of films like the title indicates that we liked as kids now yes. we picked movies basically out of the hat we didn't actually research or anything like that Matthew, what movie did you pick? I picked Jumping Jack Flash. And people would be like, Jumping Jack Flash, isn't that a song? Because no one remembers this movie, right? Did you guys remember this movie? I remembered it, yeah. I was confused. I thought it was Fatal Beauty, which is another Whoopi Goldberg film because she also stars in Jumping Jack Flash. So Jumping Jack Flash is a Whoopi Goldberg film from what year? Like 1986 or something like that? 1986, yeah. And um, she plays an office worker who falls in love with a spy through using a computer. Now, the reason I picked this movie is because I loved it when I was about five years old. Because when I was five, I didn't have a computer yet. And I loved the idea of computers and looking at computers <laughs> and thinking about computers. And Whoopi Goldberg uses a computer a lot in this movie. She also sings The Supremes at one point and has a giant toothbrush. All things Scottish five-year-olds love. Well, I'm glad to hear this because I was watching this movie. All three of us just watched this movie together. So I'm still a little rattled from the experience. And I was thinking, what could a five-year-old possibly <laughs> like about this film well, this is this is nothing i have a theory is that when we're kids we're attracted to movies that have one idea mm. and if nothing happens in them you just fill in those blanks yeah, yeah. so matthew uh, mentioned that he used to play on tv all the time yeah. right i mean i have very strong memories of watching this we moved one strong memory is we just moved into the new a new house where i lived most of my life um as well most of my childhood life and uh, my dad had to smash this old fireplace thing that was in the living room and he smashed the fireplace and that was exciting and then there was a double bill my favorite tv double bill i'm not joking big trouble in little china followed by jumping jack flash oh, I was we watched big trouble in little china <laughs> yeah. the thing is big trouble in little china is genuinely fucking great it is right and we were looking for movies that you just liked as a kid but when you look back you're like why did i like now, a better double bill would have been Eddie Murphy in The Golden Child. Yes, which I also loved as a child, but I rewatched that mm, a couple of years ago, maybe, and it was unbelievably boring. So I thought, let's watch another boring let's movie. Let's watch another one that's probably boring. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Eddie Murphy because this is this is Whoopi Goldberg's Beverly Hills Cop, basically, and it, it's it's kind of part of a genre that was popular in the '80s of the kind of uh, wise guy action comedy. 
that actually has a lot of action in it. So like Fletch would be another mm. one, or um, I think Midnight Run with uh, mm. Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro kind of fits in that category. Kind of a lost art, I would say. Yeah. Um, what are you talking about? Kevin Smith's Cop Out. You're right. <laughs> it's not a lost art. <laughs> it's very healthy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do we still count movies, even like um, the we, one that just came out, like Central Intelligence? Or I feel called? like Central Intelligence, count? I haven't seen it, but it looks like much more of a comedy than a... Like th- this no, one. it actually has a lot of action scenes in it. Okay, well, these movies like Beverly Hills Cop are, are movies where they're basically action movies with somebody in it who makes a lot of jokes. Yeah. I don't know if I would put Jumping Jack Flash in that category, even though I got really excited at the beginning where it said it's like uh, Joel Silver production. And I'm like, Joel Silver never lets us Wait, down. I mean, have you seen Beverly Hills Cop in the last little while? Yeah, I didn't like it. Not bad. that much really happens in it. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're talking about this lost era of movies that includes like even 48 hours and stuff, where you kind of think in your memory, even the first Lethal Weapon, to be honest, there's going to be a lot of action in it, but really there isn't. It's just mostly these sort of go places and sort of make jokes. And right. and I'm, this one especially, not a lot happens in it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to... I'm gonna, Straight up say... It's boring. This is not a particularly interesting movie. But I think when we're talking about it in this sort of way, like of the culture, the context of it, and this movie's kind of interesting. All right, all right, give it to us. Give us your defense, well, Matthew. My defense is, is, even in the last 20 years, when's the last time you've seen a black woman um, who isn't suppo- supposed to... She's not sexy in this movie ever. She like basically wears chunky jumpers the whole time. She wears a revealing dress at one point. Who who leads the whole movie and sort of and, and quips through. And in fact, there's a bunch there's of... There's quips in this movie? I mean, if you consider her screaming at the top of her lungs. But the point I'm trying to make is, is this is a 1980s movie with a black female uh, Okay, lead. you're going to play the race card on us. I get it. What are you talking about the race card? <laughs> First of all, are you actually a racist? Because only racists say play the race card. No, no, no. You're right. I'm not a racist. Like, okay, just we're just going to clear this up. I'm not doing a podcast on national race. I think it's completely fair when you're discussing the context of something. Yeah, but there, it's not good. No, but, but we're not talking about the, quali- the quality of the movie. We're talking about, like, as an artifact. Okay. Right. And how, which, I mean, I'm talking about, it's like, when else have you seen this type of a movie? Where we have a black female star like obviously this is being pushed on her star power right right. leading the film and really doing her shtick right Right. it's very sad that this is the only one without (laughs) it being an example of um sexy lady doing sexy stuff and she makes multiple comments in the movie i it's about like um there's a sequence where um um jack who is ably played by everyone's favorite deep sexy man and a sad, confused person in a, a disturbing future, uh, Jonathan Price. Um, <laughs> who we should point out, Jonathan Price gets a reveal in this film. Yes. Like he was the hunkiest man in the world. So Whoopi Goldberg spends the whole movie like talking on the to computer, him through the computer. Yeah, corresponding with him. I, I am instant messaging, basically. And then finally he appears at the end, but there is such a buildup. You see him, you see him like. From basically the chest down, put yeah. his hand on his shoulder. Then you see Whoopi Goldberg's face. Look at him, and her eyes widen. And I swear, the shot lasts thirty seconds yeah. of just her face taking him in. And she grins, and the camera pulls out to reveal Jonathan Price, looking as you said, like Phil Collins. Yeah, it's Jonathan Price that period where he was clearly starting to go bald. And he didn't know what to do about it, so he kind of grew a mullet and then let all the front go all sort of wavy. He looks pretty bad. But you have to remember that for most of this movie, you're listening to his sexy-ass voice. Sort of computer-modulated slightly, and it's good, man. He's got a good voice. He does. But the point is, there's a point in the movie where he says, you can't continue to do this hot, awesome spy stuff, which is kind of boring, obviously. It's not actually that good. Because you're a woman, 
and and then she's like, "What do you think I can't do?" and all that, and then she lets her do it. So you know, it's kind of like. So as a five-year-old, you understood the context what? that this movie what? was in. No, what I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to say is that I'm thinking that this movie has really is one of the reasons why I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm saying maybe if I hadn't seen. Uh, you know, because obviously I loved Ghostbusters when I was a wee guy, right? I loved Ghostbusters, sure. right? But what if I only saw Ghostbusters and didn't see Jumpin' Jack Flash? Would I be online right now? <laughs> what a dystopian future yeah. this would be. Would I be online right now saying they've taken away my movie and all women should be killed? <laughs> what if they made a Jumpin' Jack Flash remake? Uh, who's in it? That's what we need to do to get revenge. Is <laughs> yeah. to, is to well, Channing Tatum. He plays the guy on the other side. He's all geeky now. Yeah, yeah. You have no idea how hard I just got. <laughs> chan Chan Tan Tams in a big pair of specky specs all being a pure nerd in front of a computer and then a sexy spy. And Who would be the sexy spy? Will Smith. Well, Because he's a, gay in this version. No, it has to... Well, yeah, fine. Good. <laughs> well, not that Will Smith. Has somebody better than Will Smith? Come on. Idris if Elba. I, if I'm going to... Oh, I, you tell me you're going to see at the end of the movie and reveal that it's Idris Elba. And it, do you know what? No, but it needs to be on the Jonathan Price level. So someone like Don Cheadle or something like that. No, it, she, you just... You Don just, Cheadle's a lot better looking than Jonathan Price. Yeah, you, you just try. put a big homosexual steak in front of me and you're telling me I can't eat it. You know, Matthew, you come on to our, to our classy podcast and you, you bring it down like this. You bring it down to your you level. T- you tell me right now, you watch a film where Chan Chan Tan Tam stands up and he's... Oh, he's fucking, a beautiful man. He's well tonguing all up in Idris Elba's <laughs> mouth, and you're not gonna be like, "Whoa, yeah." <laughs> I'm as straight as a fucking arrow, ladies. <laughs> we just earlier said, "Skilled lover," but that's because I can appreciate all kinds of love on the screen. Why did you choose I'm, this I'm, podcast to unveil this new persona? <laughs> Why couldn't you have done this on your own podcast? <laughs> because he wanted a bigger audience. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, did you know see that? Uh, did you know see that uh, we video a John Cena today? Yes. So there's a there was a video online of John Cena and he's talking because it's Fourth of July. We're recording Fourth of July. I don't know if you sure. like to reveal that type of information. And he's talking about how America it's about patriotism is more than just about love. Do you know what I mean? And he says he says you know America when you imagine the basic American who do you imagine? He's like well, fifty one percent American they're women, you know, and twenty uh, percent are you know disabled or whatever. He says all this stuff. He's like so when you when you think of love think of more than just that yeah. and I was thinking about how you know online right there's this demogra- there's demographics they know from all you're clicking and all that right there was an art project recently on Twitter that Twitter when you're doing advertising to it has all these demographics so if you click all these things you can get right down to this one thing so it can say it knows that you are say between 25 to 34 you shop at Walmart and you like to think about mountains it literally <laughs> knows that right and so I was thinking that when you see that video it should be uh, personalized to know the exact opposite di- demographic of you so at the end of this this film right you should be love comes in all colors she should go out right now and you should fuck a disabled guy in a wheelchair <laughs> you know like because it just knows that you're not one of those and it's just picked the exact opposite of you also they should be an eskimo and then that's it listen know? matthew we like to stick to the status quo <laughs> on important <laughs> cinema club and you come in here with all your radical ideas <laughs> Point being, Jumping Jet Flash is very boring, but it's <laughs> so boring. But it's very important because it made me the man I am today, which is a cool dude um, with lots of good opinions and a lot of anger, like Whoopi Goldberg has. Yeah. Before we move on uh, from Jumping Jack Flash, there are two things that I want to address. The first of all, this movie has a really good cast. It's an amazing cast um, of. B C list comedians. So, so you got John Lovitz, Michael McKeon, Tracy Ullman, um, our favorite, the Belouche, Jim Belushi. 
Annie Potts is in it. Yep. Uh, who else? Br- Bruno Kirby from Spinal Tap. You're Tap. missing Kyle Kane. Phil, Phil Hartman. Phil oh, Hartman. Phil Hartman. God, yeah. yeah. None of whom are funny. <laughs> yeah, they don't really do anything in the movie. It's it's really Whoopi Goldberg's show. And there are a lot of scenes in this movie where basically you think the script just said Whoopi riffs. Yes. Um, because there's one scene where she imitates Stevie Wonder. Kind of goes nowhere. There's there's an endless stretch of the movie. It felt like a year of my life where she was like drugged, was it? Or... Yeah, she's, she's got truth set in her. So she's, she, it's basically liar liar. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's, I think it's what Jim Carrey saw. And he was like, this is going to be the movie for me. <laughs> and so she's basically just kind of stumbling through a lot of... I, this movie definitely has a bit of that, like, snobs against the slobs um, strain of humor where Whoopi Goldberg stumbles through places like the British Embassy and uh, really shows it to those yeah, high-class, I mean, stuck-up yeah, people. It's, it's kind of like an important cinema club. The snob, yeah. <laughs> snob versus the snob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matthew pointed to me when he said slob and uh, Will when he said snob. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. I'm I'm glad to be recognized as the smarter of the two. <laughs> um, so also directed by Penny Marshall in oh, her yeah. feature directorial debut. Yeah, I just want to bring up again though that just just before we close off this discussion of Jump Jack Flash, um, that yeah, this is kind of one of the only films I can think of with that is like an action comedy where the lead is like a, a black woman who's really this her star power is what propels it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I can't think of another one. I mean, at this point in time there were two black leads right there was eddie murphy and whoopi goldberg Mm. and that was it yeah it's sad it's very sad and i can't think of anything off the top i mean like even 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 now now the context of now right that's not really who's a who's a black woman who's a big movie star um i mean halle berry is kind of over at this point i mean Um, that but i mean this is kind of like like a lead performance and this was like a big budget film right yeah, I mean, and that's kind of, sim- I think it's very symbolic of um, how things haven't really improved for a lot of actresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and sad. people of color. So really, Matthew was on the cutting edge. Yeah, since since I've been five, I've been woke. <laughs> oh God, not again. Super woke. All right. We so, can't say anything so much, nice without yeah. turning it back into something stupid. <laughs> no, woke is not stupid. You're the guy yeah. who fucking said race car, you're which right. I still can't get over. Like, I'm guaranteeing at the end of this podcast, you're like, cut that part out. Because no, <laughs> only a racist says race car. That's you know amazing what? to me. You're right. It was the wrong thing <laughs> to say. And, and I think I said it because I couldn't believe that you were going to try to defend this movie in any way so so i was like so i was thinking don't don't defend this movie using smoking like a truly (laughs) all right so let's move from these intellectual pursuits to a movie more of my speed we're gonna talk about ooh, biodome yes we're gonna talk about a a little movie called versus which came out in 2001, I think? No, 2000. First 2000. of all, I object to this choice because even though I don't like this movie very much, um, I what we were asking for was just real pieces of shit. <laughs> just utter garbage that anyone would be ashamed to like. But and people, a lot of people hate this movie and they call like what's worse when it comes to cinema. And for people that don't know, it's a Japanese film and it's an action film that has... Every it is. It's good that it came out in the year two thousand because it's everything that people kind of disliked about that decade. So dudes in trench coats, just lots of posing, zombies, and all this stuff, and just kind of a soullessness. To, to be fair, though, zombies hadn't really taken off. They had not style. taken off, but I'm saying that that's what everything that mm-hmm. would become defined with that kind of genre. Mm-hmm. Um, when did the zombie resurgence happen? Resident Evil. Okay. And then the Dawn of the Dead remake. Well, I'd say the Dawn of the Dead remake is really where it happened, where everyone sort of woke up and they were like, hey, we should make a lot of Everyone became woke. woke. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I picked I this movie because I didn't really want to watch Snatch, which I said last episode. Uh, which is fine by me because I didn't want to watch it either. No one wants to watch Snatch. Not even Guy Ritchie wants to watch Snatch. <laughs> He'd rather watch that uh, one that he made with Madonna, um, no, Under the Wave. Swept many, away. Too swept many, away. Too many sad memories for Guy. <laughs> or uh, Rock and Rolla. A movie that never quite took off as a cult item. Because it was a pale imitation of Guy Ritchie. Yeah. So versus. I cannot describe how excited this movie made me as a child. Oh, sure. I used to do something when I was a kid, which was my friends would pick me up in the morning and we would all walk to school. So I must have been 1987, I don't know, 13, maybe 14. And I would do this thing where I would go, hey, guys, guys, guys. Come, before we go to school, come on my computer. I'm going to show you a scene from a movie. <laughs> Look how awesome this is. And Versus was one that I must have, over a period of a month, they saw the entire film piecemeal. They could not give less of a fuck. Did you mostly show them all the long, boring parts where characters <laughs> talk in Japanese to each oh other about God. really nothing? All right. Not, none of whom I'm interested in whatsoever. So we talked about garbage before, right? And <laughs> how can we like this when we were kids? I watched Versus a few days ago. Man, do I love this movie. <laughs> it is so much fun. And if you watch the stuff that I've directed, it is sad how much I've stolen from this it's, film. It's true. Huh. You, you've got a lot of that kinetic camera work. It's, I mean, I always think it was, it's almost like Edgar Wright without the wink. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, fi- I think Sam Raimi is kind of the obvious mm, touchstone, which yes. is, I, I think, why I didn't quite make the connection with your work, Justin, because I see more Sam Raimi in your work. Y- yeah, uh, but, and Versus is basically Sam Raimi- with action. Meets the Matrix. Yes, exactly. If Sam Raimi made the Matrix. And because um, versus, yeah. and watching it again, I really kind of broke it down and its structure and stuff like that. There is an action beat every two scenes. So as a kid who just wants like, wants to watch stuff piecemeal, this is perfect for me. Because when I would watch movies as a kid, we had a computer that was in a long hallway that everyone saw. Mm. So everyone would walk back and they see you sitting at the computer. So no pornography for me. And I couldn't watch movies because the only DVD player was down uh, in the living room. So I would watch this film in 10-minute chunks. That's the perfect way to experience it. Because they just have an action scene every beat. And it's so kinetic and it fills you with so much energy while you watch it that it's like, ah, this is great. Sure. And if you watch it like I've watched it, which is all together uh, as a two-hour film it's like having pixie sticks for dinner <laughs> exactly but it's not it's like having pixie sticks and then licking a rock for 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> you're right but, because like the problem is that all the stuff that comes in between those action schemes which are fun right yeah, yeah. um they're kind of like bleh there's like it's really bleh but what you talked about how fate or what i imposed on you mm. which is you're imposing your own vision on the movie you're watching mm. i could do that with verses because I could separate the entirety from these little sequences, and that kind of inspired me in the stuff that I was doing. I actually met the director very briefly at the premiere of Midnight Meat Train. And what, what's the director's name? Or Rihu Hei Who, Kitamura, who, who yeah. went on to direct uh, Godzilla Final Wars. Great movie. I like that movie. Um, and other stuff. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no One Lives, the no WWE, one lives. WWE, WWE film. Movie, yeah. So I went and shook his hand, and I went, Versus is the reason that I make movies. And he looked at me and went, Really? <laughs> and then I'm like, can you sign this, please? And it was like Bill Murray in um, uh, Life Aquatic. He's like, okay. Oh, you got a second one for me, I guess. <laughs> I, like, I can understand why people don't like this movie. But for me, it's something that I really latched on to. Because it'd be awesome if I could say, like, man, I saw Seven Samurai. 
that's why I wanted to make movies. Right. I mean, I can't argue with that. What I can say is that when I saw this movie for the first time, I was also seeing stuff like Hard Boiled for the first time. And, uh, I don't know, give me that any day of the week. It's it's true. One of the things is when you watch that movie in the context of a lot of the other contemporaries, all of it from Asia particularly, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of blah. Like, my problem with that movie is that um, at least any version I've ever seen is it actually just shot on video Cause I it's think, shot on Super 16 yeah it doesn't look great first of all the, the DVD so... by the DVD by Media Shock is really shitty and I actually watched it on Blu-ray for the first yeah. time this week and it looks completely different it, yeah because the only version I've ever seen even the version I just watched half of admittedly um, it, it, the colours are so flat um, it's not good looking and one of my main problems I remember when I watched it as a, as a young man was that uh, the ne- uh, and maybe I'm wrong because I only watched half of it they never until towards the very end sort of learn how to kill zombies so there's long sequences where they're just like shooting zombies in every part of the zombie they never ages. learn how to kill a zombie and it's like that really annoyed me because I'd long bought been saying that you kill zombies by shooting the head so the fact that there's all the actions I'm like but they weren't exciting because it's like stop shooting them places that aren't going to help you um, Versus was actually the first film that I became aware of color correction because mm. I had a bootleg DVD that I ordered out Probably cost me $30. I also bought the official release when it came out. And I remember watching both versions on DVD being like, wait, this doesn't look correct. Why doesn't it look like this? I don't know why I got so obsessed with it, but I did. And even to this point, I still steal from it mercilessly. My first film, Teddy Bomb, was completely temp scored with the score from Versus. Wow. I mean, you see, I don't even want to like badmouth this movie <laughs> because it was so meaningful to you. I think that's beautiful. Uh, but I hope you fucked I honestly... I- think he cheated though because it's not that bad i mean it's just not great like this is a cheat because it's just but it's a movie he unironically loves which is like fair enough you can't fight with him but i didn't i didn't know i was gonna yeah i did so i knew i just had an excuse to watch so listen just just since we're talking about this like let's give me some give me some real shit that you liked as a kid uh but i just want to talk about riyuhu kitamura because his second movie alive is everything that's wrong with versus and I hate it. And I hate and, it so much. And what are those things? Posing, nothing happens, emptiness, the idea of cool without delivering anything. Mm-hmm. And his career has kind of been a mixture of both those things, where he's been struggling with, like, do I do something cool or do I just look cool? He's kind of like um, Nicholas Winding Ren. <laughs> exactly. He's, yeah, but Nicholas Winding Ren has never really. Important been. Cinema Club callback. <laughs> <laughs> um, what garbage that I actually liked as a kid? Well, I liked everything I saw as a kid, so and I, you were probably the same way too, right? You know what? I don't think I did because I remember watching movies for me as a kid were something that were very rare. Like my parents really wouldn't really rent me stuff, and my mother was someone who didn't let me watch The Simpsons, so she was very like specific. You know what movie I loved as a kid that I'm sure is garbage? Little Monsters, okay. star, starring um, Howie Mandel, Howie Mandel, or Munchies. Which starred, uh, was directed by Jim Warnorski, was a new Concord production. Those are definitely bad. <laughs> They're definitely <laughs> bad. And you know why I love them so much? Because they were in the 99 cent bin. And it was all I was allowed to watch. I would say, uh, I mean, it, these aren't movies that I love. But I mean, there are so many movies I just rented and was like, oh yeah, that's good. So like, you know, Rover Dangerfield, the, uh, Rodney, <laughs> the cartoon where Rodney like Dangerfield Rover is Dangerfield. a dog. I think that's pretty good, isn't it? Well, I haven't seen it in 20 years. Maybe it's good. But... I watch Rock-A-Doodle a lot. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure Robert Dangerfield's good, man. <laughs> I don't think so. All dogs go to heaven? I saw that. Too sad. <laughs> 
I would say like as a like, kid. I, I like that type of film and American Tale too sad for me. Don't oh, oh, I loved uh, the Ernest movies. Don't oh, I love Ernest. the Ernest movies. Yeah. Ernest. In fact, I still kind of like Jim Varney. But the problem with Ernest Scared Stupid was too scary. <laughs> Ernest goes to jail is really funny, though. <laughs> no, oh, it's not. Ernest... Ernest goes to jail, I would say, right now, I would bet my badge, it's the best of the series. Yes, it is. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, Varney plays two characters, yeah. so like the, the plot has a little more going uh, on. He, and... but, don't forget, he also plays old lady version of Ernest, which is one of the funniest things he does. There's, there's also a scene, like like what Robin Williams does in all his movies, yeah. where, where Jim Varney does a bunch of like character voices. Yes. Uh, so, you dirty rat, you're <laughs> the one who, you know, that scene. I just remembered a movie that I loved, and I watched. It may have been the only VHS my father owned, and it was Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, loved it. Good. <laughs> it's a good movie, man. <laughs> Uh, you, I don't believe you. I don't. It's not. Mr. Stephar's good. Last time I saw it, it didn't hold up very well. It's good, man. What? About, okay. What about that scene halfway through when when Jim? Do you remember the scene where Robin Williams is alone at the TV studio and he picks up the two dinosaur toys and he, does, he has two minutes of just riffing with these yep, dinosaur wait, toys? Fantastic! Like maybe the hardest the two minutes dead. ever to watch. We can't badmouth them now. It's I cannot. For, uh, I cannot describe how many times I also watch Robin Williams stand up <laughs> yeah. and just laughed and laughed and laughed. I think Robin Williams brought a lot of people a lot of joy. He, he was a very talented man, and I toast to his memory. I have a... Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I need to talk about, before we get off the okay. subject of Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> the greatest onion article. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> or I think it's a click hole article. What's the title of it? I can't... I can't but it, the byline was Pierce Brosnan. Of course, he didn't actually write it, which was like, to this day, I still don't know who played Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> and there's a point. Just, just just looking up where halfway through, he's like, I tried to get to the bottom of this mystery by calling up Robin Williams. Unfortunately, I had a horrible surprise when I called. <laughs> Rest in peace, Robin. Um, can I can I actually tell like a th- like a third hand sto- story about Robin Williams? Oh anyways? yeah, good. Which is like um, uh, Fran Drescher or something was an Oprah once, are telling the story about going to Robin Williams' house, right? And she was in Robin Williams' house, and she realized that they had all of these stuffed gorilla toys, you know. And um, Fran was like, she was talking to Robin Williams' wife. And she's like, why do you have all these stuffed gorilla toys? And uh, Robin Williams just, I, we, I don't really know. I mean, fans just send them to us. And Fran Drescher goes in Fran Drescher's voice, I suppose, which I'm not going to impression of. She's like, well, is it maybe because Robin's really hairy? And apparently his wife just looked at her like with the most disgusted look and was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the only explanation. <laughs> That's what's so funny about it. It's like, you think, that's the only reason it was sent to us. You know what's funny? Robin Williams joked about that a lot. Yeah. About how hairy he was. But do you think it's like a thing that he took very personally? <laughs> so so it was like one of those things, oh, you know, if I say it first, no one will be able to say it. You know what movie I saw in theaters that I really enjoyed? Jack. Oh, me too. Ugh. Yeah, I saw that in theaters. <laughs> that's a bad one. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I loved it when I was a kid. I saw all those Robin Williams movies yeah, in theaters. Yeah, everyone did. Everyone did. Flubber, everything, all that. I didn't, like, I, I didn't like Flubber. Oh, Father's Day, <laughs> Billy Crystal, and Robin What Williams. a clash of the titans Oh, I know. Absolute titans. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. There is a movie, though, that I watched at summer camp. Where I would get there early at, like, 6 a.m. My parents would just drop me off. And they had one movie in the VHS in the common room. And that movie is Will Sloan's pick of garbage that he loved as children. And I watched this movie every day oh for, like, three <laughs> months. And watching that it. That would be paradise. We watched it for this podcast. 
And I remembered almost nothing. <laughs> I feel like it was like, I, you know when you have a trauma yeah. and you like erase it from your memory? <laughs> I remember one thing. Me and Justin watched this together, actually. We <laughs> We're not going to say the title of the movie. <laughs> 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 uh, you should say it. You're the fucking host. The movie is Super Mario Brothers. Yes. So me and Justin watched this movie together. And we watched on a blazingly clear Blu-ray version. like Like one of those like cleanest possible copies you can see absolutely perfect and the one thing i remember of this movie is that in the blue day version you can see just how drunk the cast are <laughs> to have got through this yeah. bob hoskins is bright pink for almost the whole film this was a legendarily troubled production yes. where i think i think all of them have said that they were drunk and high for the for the duration um I mean, you know, it's great that the movie is still so good despite everything. It's like it's like Fitzcarraldo or Apocalypse Now, any of those. No, no, no. This movie is what a the... what a cavalcade of talent though. You've got the creators of Max Headroom directed this. And, a husband uh, wife team, I believe. Yeah, you've got Bob Hoskins at the height of his stardom. After uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, yeah, and Mona Lisa was around mm-hmm. that time. You've got Dennis Hopper. Mona Hopper. Lisa around that time? I thought Mona Lisa was way earlier. Well, was maybe it? it's earlier, but but it's Mona part Lisa's of the like run. At least like four years earlier. <laughs> okay, well, who gives a shit? It's part of the run of Bob Hoskins being a matinee idol. <laughs> yeah, of course, because everyone went to see fucking Mona Lisa straight away. <laughs> yeah. Hook was was pr- pretty quickly before this, I think. Uh, Bob Hoskins and Hook. He was, yeah. he was Smee. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's one of the baddies. I did not like Hook when I was nah, a kid. I don't, Hook is bad. Hook I liked Hook bad. as a kid, but it has not aged. Hook well is for so me. boring for like the entire first time. I, I'm tired of all these millennials who who think Hook is good. Do millennials think Hook is yeah, good? Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. I just have to good. sum it up with the, the like fourth hand story of Steven Spielberg. You heard this, right? Yeah, I did. After the premiere, <laughs> he went to his limo and just cried in his limo. Well, <laughs> I, I read an interview with Spielberg recently where he said he's kind of come around on Hook because after Robin Williams died, he thought, oh, isn't it nice I made a film with Robin Williams? Boo! <laughs> <laughs> you know, stick to your principles. <laughs> okay, so Super Mario Brothers. You watched it again, didn't you? Uh, no, I didn't. But I saw, it, I saw it maybe a year ago um, and it held up for me that time. I think it, it held up for you no it's a piece of shit but i but i really enjoy this movie uh what i love about this movie is it's like it's like super mario brothers turned into blade runner it, but with a lot of wacky shit in it it's a really muddled and but incoherent vision this comes to a point of uh a problem i had with a lot of films that i watched as a kid one they were too scary and two, they were too mean-spirited. Uh, well, you see, I liked that this movie was kind of scary. Not mm-hmm. really scary, but I liked that it had a little bit of grit and a little bit of intensity to it. I mean, a character named Toad is morphed into a little-headed monster. A and Goomba. Th- and then lit on fire. That was scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the way he is morphed into that monster is basically as scary as when Captain Fantastic or whatever it is and Mystery Man gets I hated that part, too. Oh, so I bet you were really sad when, like, Bambi's mother died, too, right? Like, <laughs> oh, Bambi, no good, no. Th- these are... I already said I won't watch Don Bluth movies. These are the iconic moments of film. Bambi's mother dying. Toad getting turned into a Goomba. (laughs) It's correct. It always, always AFI top 100 sad moments right up there. What do you think is the thing that attracted to you this movie? Just that it was a Super Mario Bros. First of all, I mean, these are not sophisticated reasons. Well, first of all, I'll say what this movie is about. Uh, Bob (laughs) Hoskins plays Mario Mario. Uh, John Leguizamo plays Luigi Mario. Star of the past. <laughs> yeah, they are <laughs> not. They are not uh, biological brothers. Uh, in fact, uh, Bob Hoskins raised John Leguizamo as his own. Mm. So really, it's the Super Mario father and son. Yeah, which makes it weird. They spend so much of the movie Frenching. 
<laughs> but also they have a brotherly bond. So like Bob Hoskins keeps like telling John Leguizamo, hey, come on, Daisy. She really likes you. Why don't you yeah. go try to pick her up? Which is a little creepy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they uh, they meet Princess Daisy, um, who comes from the other alternate worlds, where after the meteorite hit Earth, there's this alternate reality where dinosaurs evolved into people. Yeah, they split into two dimensions, and it's never explained why all these dinosaurs know about this, but none of the humans do. And do you remember the prologue of this movie where the narrator is, is like, but what if the dinosaurs didn't go extinct? What if they had their own reality? What if? It, which is just a lot of really intriguing questions, I think. No. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, um, for reasons involving uh, Mario's feud with Scapelli, the rival former, <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> uh, no. They, they somehow follow Daisy into the alternate dimension where she's kidnapped because she has Daisy has um, the missing piece of the meteor that if it's reconnected to the meteor will merge the two worlds and King Koopa, played by um, Blue Velvet's Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yes, in a very, very similar performance. Yes. Uh, he, I'm not joking. No, it's true. <laughs> he's kind of like, he's, he's a bit of a, like, I actually think he's a bit of a Trumpian figure. Don't you think that's kind of who he's based on? Yeah, sure. Around sure. this time? Anyway. I, I mean, you, you anyone listen, rich. Actually, and... I should be fighting on every point because you refuse to listen to me talk about how woke I was about uh, Jumping Jack Flash. Like, <laughs> well, he's not saying that he was woke about Super no, Mario I mean, Brothers. He's like making like social political references. <laughs> and I should be like, bullshit. Okay. Wait, isn't Luigi and Mario really about the immigrant experience first of all, in America? First of all, fuck you. I will put Super Mario Brothers against Jumping Jack Flash any day. Which one would you watch again? Oh, wait. I want to jump in because I'm the mediator uh, here. And the answer I'd have to give is Super Mario Brothers <laughs> without question. Yeah. I'm going to explain something Suck here. It. Super Mario Brothers, the movie, it's like a man in a white van has shown up. <laughs> he's opened the back of the van and he's like, hey kid, do you want to watch Super Mario Brothers? Play Super Mario Brothers with me in this van? And you're like, sure. And you get inside the van and he sticks hyperdermic needles up your pee hole for an hour and a half. But, and then he lets you out the van again. And you're you're not that badly hurt. But it wasn't... It was bad. This movie was so exciting for me as a kid. The scene where Mario and Luigi and the girls they rescue are like going down the tunnel on a mattress. You remember, <laughs> you remember that scene? Yes. While, while cool rock music is playing? That was... I was watching that as he going, that is so badass. As we know, that sequence famously inspired the penguin sliding sequence in Super Mario 64. That is not true. No, no, it's not true at all. <laughs> Um, but there are lots of great scenes. There are there are boots that the Mario Brothers wear. Stompers. That, that like, make them fly. Yeah, uh, because they were like, what do we want to get He can jump really high. How can we explain that without a tedious in-world explanation? But this is another thing I liked about this movie as a kid, was that it kind of, it, it took the Mario game, and it turned it into the real world. Oh, yeah. It took kind the Mario of game like and turned ha- it into shit. Yeah. Kind like, of like the Dark Knight. <laughs> I was going to say that, um, what is it, the uh, Mushroom King? Yeah. What's his part? Is that his name? Yeah, the Mushroom King. Yeah. It's turned into the most disgusting ooze. Yeah, fungusy ooze that so, covers everything. So Dennis Hopper, when he takes over the Mushroom Kingdom, um, which I don't think is what it's called in the movie, but he turns the real king, played by Lance Henriksen. In one shot. In one single shot. Love those plumbers, he says. Yeah. He turns Lance Henriksen into this ooze that is dispersed all around the city, and the ooze keeps helping out the Mario Brothers. Like, it keeps giving them little bombs. Um, so that's cool. But you're also missing the fact that he is this remaining singular Cronenbergian lump of 
goo in the middle of a room and in, in a throne room actually, and this disgusting head yeah. pops out of it and swirls and it's around. Always we notice that every shot the goo was like trickling down. Yeah, yeah. every single one. So did not like that as a kid. Really, I, I thought it's, it was it's kinda, horrifying. I thought it was kind of neat. As an adult, it's still horrifying. It is okay. horrifying. Um, I think you've just grown soft as an adult. I think kids can. Take I this just kind of explained stuff. that Don Bluth movies are too sad to me. I've always been soft. <laughs> However, skilled lover. <laughs> <laughs> he has a tough he, exterior, but a soft little center. Yes. Yeah, oh, I bet there's a soft part of him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that a reference to his dick? I, like? I honestly don't know. <laughs> Um, this movie's bad. Well, <laughs> what what don't you like about it? There's like there's like a there's a car chase. It's kind of like I, a bumper car. Didn't you love that music that recurs? Oh my movie? god! That was. <laughs> 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 so that's one of the most is is that this movie? If it was uh, our friend Pierce, uh, a cinematographer and general gadabout town composer, composer, yeah, he talked about how this movie needed to be rescored with an industrial soundtrack because that's oh, how yeah. it feels. It should have that sort of. You remember we watched uh, on loose cannons? Actually, we watched um, Cool World in the episode because he said to not watch canon films anymore and Cool World is kind of the same thing it's like cartoony but it's also horrifyingly designed uh-huh. and has a terrifying industrial soundtrack like yeah. Ministry <laughs> and all the other <laughs> and if Super Mario Brothers was scored like that it would feel just as disturbing and just yeah. as an adult instead it has some I do know who it is Alan Silvestri and Silvestri doing a horribly yeah. mismatched and um, Baby's Day Out fucking yeah. score <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is horrific I'll concede that point for sure like I think if Giorgio Moroder is another yeah. person that if he did the score or Kraftwerk yeah um, but yeah I don't know that's a, that's a minor quibble um, <laughs> a minor also, quibble I, I think the uh, the comedy relief in this movie um there, there are two wacky henchmen uh, of Dennis Hopper who I think are utterly painful every time yep. they're on screen one played by I don't know. Fisher Stevens? Come on. <laughs> oh, Every- sorry. Everyone's- the man that broke Matthew Kumar's heart. Uh, yeah, because like many people of uh, Indian extraction, I honestly thought he was Indian until about I was about 24. <laughs> yeah. you know, do you know why this is, Will? No, I, I don't know anything about Fisher Stevens. Fisher Stevens plays the Indian character in Short Circuit. With a thick oh, Indian I, accent. I, 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 and brown face. And full brown face. And so, literally, if everyone everyone who's of Indian extraction, it's actually a whole episode of Master of None by Aziz Ansari. Uh-huh. It's about how he keeps telling Indian people that he's not actually Indian. And they're like, what? Fish receivers is Indian? It's always brand new to them. Oh. And honestly, it was brand new to me, too. I find that episode very um, <laughs> true to wow. me. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Anyway, he's terrible in this film. He's, be- he's much better in Hackers. <laughs> so, um, Loved Hackers when I was so a kid. Good. Two more things I want to address about this movie. First of all, I know from flipping through John Leguizamo's autobiography in the bookstore that he and <laughs> he and Samantha Mathis hooked up. Oh, really? So th- that's interesting. Who's Samantha Mathis? She's Princess Daisy. Uh, yeah. Hey, baby, I was in the past. <laughs> <laughs> that was far in the future. Okay. Um, hey, baby, I'm going to be in the past. <laughs> <laughs> also, how did you like the ending, which sets it up for a sequel? I remember it much differently in my mind. I remember her, like, kicking the door open and, like, cocking a shotgun in her hand. And she's the, like, I the, need you. She doesn't do any of those things. Yeah. The yeah. door just quietly opens and she's like, hey, guys, I need it's you. It's your kids, Mario. It's yeah. your kids. <laughs> so I guess that's an example of my mind kind of imposing on things. Kind of like in the Terminator movie, the first one, when Arnold goes up against those yeah. punks. I have a vivid memory of Arnold punching through a punk and you seeing his fist all gooey and gross. Yeah. That never happens in that movie. So, uh, yeah, good movie. I'm glad I, we could all agree. My 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 hope is that setting up for a sequel shot 
was the first thing that they shot because if you shot any rest of that movie and still put that into the movie you are a bad person I mean it's a movie that the second in command female villain gets blown up against the wall into a skeleton she dies really hard and you hear her scream like ah and do you know who she is? Nope. She plays the dowdy teacher in Three Men and a Little Lady. Another <laughs> oh. movie I loved as a kid. I like the scene when Dennis Hopper uh, sticks his tongue out at Princess Daisy and it turns into a lizard tongue. Ugh. And by like, I mean didn't like that scene. Yeah. Uh, how did you like Yoshi in the film? Why would a shitty little dinosaur. Yeah. Why would you do you that? You can't ride it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck all you can't do it with it. Doesn't like eat things and shit out eggs. But how garbage. did you guys think of the um, visualization of the big fish, Big Bertha from the video oh, game? Oh, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Big Bertha in this movie is... Okay, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, and there's that long sequence where she has sort of does sexy dance with Mario. This movie's really fucked up. Any child watching it should have immediately walked well, into the therapy. you know, that that's, I would say, I'll concede a point. That's one part where the film doesn't quite work as a translation of the video game. You it's know, hard to imagine. Here's the thing, though. When it comes down to it, if we were really summing this whole thing up, these are the movies that made us. I became super woke because I, I, don't I like believe this is going. women are, you know, allowed to be spies and stuff. Justin became completely deranged and <laughs> loves movies with guys in trench coats and fast cutting. And, and you were listening to the important stuff. <laughs> My name is Will Slow. <laughs> And you are just Will Sloan. What more can I say? <laughs> if you want Will Sloan's um, full life theory and opinion, you just put the Super Mario Brothers on. And it's right all right up there on the screen. Because it's, it's like that thing, right? Where they're like, you know, um, you have to you ask people a bunch of questions and they have to Matthew, answer really fast. Matthew, I don't fast. come on your podcast. They have to, they have to <laughs> answer really fast, right? And then you get the truth about that person. I think they're picking Super Mario Brothers. Just, we got to the core wow. truth of you. Hey, I love Super Mario Brothers when I was a kid too. Yeah, you both have brain damage. <laughs> By the way, I just wanted to say that uh, on the last podcast, I we said we were going to do Life is Beautiful. And oh, right. In a, in a rare show of compassion, I I decided these guys didn't have to it's, watch it's that. It's true. He said, rather than watch the Holocaust, I'll commit the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> Your Life wow. is Beautiful is bad. Even though we won Best Foreign Picture that year. It won Best Actor that year. <laughs> I swear to fucking Christ. Yeah, remember Benito Bellucci, whatever his name was? What's his name? Is that R- Roberto Benini. Roberto the Benini. Son of the Pink Panther He's all himself. like, I love you so much, I use a part of my English. And he falls over the chairs and that. He told the audience that he wanted to go and make a love to them in a field. Yeah. Remember that? And they were like... Mamma mia. They were like, you're so charming and foreign and your movie is so beautiful and interesting. Whew. I mean, really, what that movie is is a parable for a Holocaust denial. Yeah. Is it? Well, because he, he keeps saying to the kid, uh, as, as long as you don't believe that this is happening, uh, you'll be fine. I have a question for you. Do you love that movie just because you couldn't see The Day the Clown Cried? Well, I was eight at the time. I don't think I had even heard of The Day the Clown Cried. I think it was probably was it, just was, like was in like, his yeah, DNA. Was it like Osmosis because you love Jerry Lewis so I think, much? Well, I think a lot of it uh, was that it was the first subtitled film I ever saw. So I think I was very proud of myself for seeing a subtitled film. For being with film. Reed. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I love how it was Life is Beautiful. Yeah. Like, did you see it in the theater? Oh, yeah. Tears streaming down your face when it ended? Yeah. Do you remember what the first subtitle film you saw was, Justin? Mm. I would say the first foreign film I saw was Jackie Chan's First Strike. I remember the first R-rated film I saw was Broken Arrow. Uh, Mine was True Lies. True Lies. That's a good one. Does the Red Balloon have subtitles? I don't know. It was probably released as dubbed, so... Mm, I don't know. Because I saw the Red Balloon as a very small child... Um, and it's like my mom was remembering me seeing it because 
And maybe this is why I can't watch Don both movies. And like, is I was so distraught by the red balloon. My mum said for hours <laughs> after, because I was very small when I saw. All I would say was balloon. I just kept saying balloon, balloon, because <laughs> I was so distraught. I have never seen while, the red while balloon. While we're on this topic, a movie that really uh, destroyed me as a child was A Few Good Men, um, which to this day I haven't seen the rest of. What? What? Why? Well, my grandpa called. He couldn't handle the truth. Wait, <laughs> oh, very good. He just steed that up right up for <laughs> Well, I don't know how I'm going to follow that, but uh, my my grandpa called me and said, "Oh, I got this movie uh, with uh, the Joker, Jack Nicholson." <laughs> and, I, and I thought, so "Oh boy, good. that sounds fun." And the movie opens with this horrible scene of two soldiers killing another soldier <laughs> in his bunk, just beating him to death, which. I, for about a year afterwards, I was actually afraid to go to bed because I was worried somebody would beat me in my sleep. Because I, I think, maybe I'm just making this up in my memory, but I think there's a scene in the movie where you see from the, the guy's point of view opening his eyes and two looming men above his bed. And I was terrified that if I opened my eyes, I'd see that. Did you see any movies, Justin, where you that really affected you, it terrified you as a child, you can go to sleep as a result? I'm trying to think right now. I was very easily frightened by movies. Even something like... Um, little monsters. The idea that Fred Savage was turning into a monster in that movie yeah, I think that terrified really creepy me. creepy as a child. Yeah. Batman Returns was pretty scary for me as a kid. Specifically, uh, two scenes. The scene where the Penguin's parents throw the, the bassinet into the sewer at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That was just the whole idea of that is scary as a child. And also the bit where the Penguin bites somebody's nose off. Yeah, that's, that's super gruesome. You know what? I probably have to say something like Mars Attacks as well. Mars Attacks is really disturbing. I think mm. the Sarah Jessica Parker dog thing is really <laughs> awful. Or the fact that Michael J. Fox, the man you loved in Back to the Future, he dies, is, dies right at the beginning yeah. <laughs> in a gag shot. Yeah, I remember that, I remember that really clearly. That, that from, shocked um, me. That's a real Janet Lee in Psycho moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, on that level, um, the start of Mission Impossible... When he mm, I remember all, seeing them all of his too. squad, and one of them is like Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez dies by having his <laughs> he like the elder turns on and he gets like stuff stuck in his head. Yep, that was pretty horrifying. Mission Impossible, case. by the way, uh, was a little bit like Jumping Jack Flash for me, where it was a movie that I was fascinated with all the computers in it. Yes, it looked so kind of like high tech and cyber and everything. Yeah. Haven't seen it since. It's probably aged horribly. No, it's good. I watched yeah. it a few years ago. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Everyone likes uh, two a lot less. I think two is really. Oh, fun two I loved when I saw it. So ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. John Woo, man, it's completely insane. But it, when you're talking about love. films that were subtitled, probably Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. and yeah. probably Hard Boiled on VHS. Mm. I remember uh, the two first movies I saw in widescreen were Hard Boiled and Blade Runner. And you know the you're the dad thing of like what I'm losing all the picture on the top and bottom. I was like that for years. So really, yeah. Um, I think the first movie I saw in widescreen might have been Destroy All Monsters, the Godzilla film. <laughs> that's a boring movie. It is. Oh my god, it's got ten good minutes in it. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's right. All right, Matthew. Anything else that you wanted to say while you're on this podcast? Uh, I really used up. Uh, my whole conclusion with the last bit where I was like Super Mario explains well you know yeah I mean I just thought like I thought you came onto this podcast a little combative and it was a little unfair (laughs) I I think I was the one who suggested you to be on this podcast like just explain I was like I don't want Matthew to be on this podcast but I was like no come on it's like oil and water Matthew's good I like him he's a good talker Um, I came on combative because you just spent like the whole time of uh, Jack Flash <laughs> talking through it, so I was like, I got we okay. I, we missed, I my, closed my eyes and kind of fell asleep for fifteen boy. minutes. We, we barely talked nothing, through it. Okay, we didn't talk at all for the first hour. No, and then for the second hour, it was just like fuck this. <laughs> yeah, and we I still mean, didn't miss anything. We got the key parts. 
Yeah, I'm just saying. I had to stand up for my, my movie. Jumping Jack Flash is your nostalgia pick. I mean, obviously I have, I have so many nostalgia but We mentioned more. Like, I put an amazing nostalgia pick would have been... Animalympics. No. <laughs> we better list cannons deep cut there. Um, would have been Adam's Family Values, which I love to mm. absolute pieces. Or the Bill and Ted movies. Or, yeah, Big Trouble in Little China and movies like that. But I, I said I wanted to pick an, a pick where I was like, I'm pretty sure this movie is not good, but I know why I liked it. Computers, giant toothbrush. I mean, those are like... Jonathan Sexy, Jonathan Price's voice. I mean, really, all things a five-year-old loves. I mean, I wish I had a movie that I could think of right off the top of my head that I loved and watched all the time. It's funny, we talked about Don Bluth, and I watched Land Before Time over and over and over and over again. I actually asked Don Bluth during a screening, I went, is it true they died at the end in the original version? And he was like, no, 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 that was never. Because that's a rumor on the internet that, like, they drowned at the end and go to heaven. Mm. But no, that doesn't happen. Um... But, like, the movie I rented the most as a kid was Monster Squad. Because that was in those 99-cent walls. And that's a scary movie. Yeah. So, aside from the Ernest movies, which were addressed earlier, uh, I liked, you know, the Batman movies as and the uh, Ace Ventura movies. Or any uh, of the Jim Carrey Ace movies. Ace Ventura. Yeah. Uh, all the time. There was a Jerry Lewis movie that I rented all the time called The Caddy. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Mary Poppins. And uh, there were a lot of, like anything that was on a public domain VHS tape at Toys R Us. So a lot <laughs> rubber of... Rubber Face. Well, Rubber Face, yeah. I, I never really liked that one, but <laughs> but I watched it a lot because Jim Carrey was in it. I was thinking more stuff like um, sort of like public domain cartoons like Bugs Bunny, Popeye and stuff. Like and, Mr. Magoo, Roger Ramjet, uh, things like that? Well, I loved Mr. Magoo, not so much Roger Ramjet. And I liked uh, The Three Stooges a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. like The Three Stooges at all. I, you probably just You're... didn't get to them at the right time. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Three Stooges are hilarious. Yeah, better than Marx Brothers says Will. Sloan. I like Lauren. I didn't Harder. say that. <laughs> I mean, like in terms of like old school, I really think Lauren Hardy are very. Funny. I like I like Lauren Hardy. Yeah, yeah. A little dry. Yeah, I'm not a little nothing. cerebral. Char- Charlie Chaplin, crazy dry. <laughs> Lauren Hardy, the the nice midpoint between your Three Stooges and your Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, I discovered around eight or nine, and I feel like he was really a gateway to a higher class of cinema for me. I never uh, discovered Charlie Chaplin until I was like eighteen. Yeah, no yeah, one. I think Charlie Chaplin's very. T- quite yeah too cerebral and kind of tedious and i think lauren harder does get a nice little mid zone do you still feel that way yeah 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 i I don't like charlie chaplin at all really wow i'm surprised i think uh lauren hard is really where it's at well he took you for an intellectual we we, we can't agree on everything yeah i mean we can't i mean i mean i would much rather like have a dog shit directly in my mouth and watch super mario brothers again (laughs) and uh you would rather watch super mario brothers i suppose (laughs) than jumping jack flash (laughs) yeah yeah, well, it's true. Okay, so next week, Will, without Matthew, what are we doing? I actually don't know. Wong Kar Wai. Let's do it's it. your pick. Yeah, well, we had like three picks that we were tossing around. And I also think that after this um, ridiculous week, we need to get back to important cinema. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. let's let's do Wong Kar Wai. Let's not have Matthew on. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I be on? I have my own podcast, Loose Cannons. You can see it on iTunes. You should uh, send us letters at loosecannonspodcast at gmail.com. You should review and rate us. And by us, I mean the Loose Cannons podcast on iTunes because it really helps us. We need you know, it's a great podcast. I've given it five stars on iTunes. I wrote a sardonic review on iTunes. Uh, have you reviewed us on iTunes? Yes. <laughs> you haven't. <laughs> I, I think this podcast is great too and I will actually, eh. we'll pimp it on our own podcast so don't worry. <laughs> you may actually listen to an episode. I listened to, <laughs> I've listened to several episodes. Okay. And for Wong Kar Wai, we'll be watching In the Mood for Love and 2046. Yeah. Which is like the semi-sequel to In the yeah, Mood for Love. Yeah, good idea. 
All right. Well, my name's Justin Clue. I was Will Sloan. And I'm Matthew Kumar. Thanks for listening. Well, actually, do you know what I want to ask you guys? Um, because you didn't really tell me in the podcast. Um, you obviously liked Super Mario Brothers the movie, but did, did you play a lot of Super Mario Brothers as a kid? Oh yeah, or? I had Super Mario World. Yeah, on Super Mario Nintendo. World. Um, yeah, and also Mario sixty four and like, Mario Kart. Like, were you like a big fan of Super Mario, or were you just like, was it just like, oh, a movie? You know, I, w- I would say I was a fan of Super Mario. So I'm interested. How did you? Because um, to me, watching that movie as a kid who liked Super Mario and all that, watching that movie was like, I honestly remember as a child watching it, being like, this is shit. This is I it as a kid. <laughs> Like, and I was, and it was part of it was like, the parts of it I liked were the, was like, I liked the ball bomb mm-hmm, because yeah. that was a really clear reference and everything else is just like, what are you doing with this movie? So it's weird to I me mean, that somebody who likes yeah. Super Mario would have liked the movie. I know? really liked Super Mario, the video games, but I had no nostalgia for the characters. I wasn't like, I need Mario Brothers on my lunchbox and I yeah, need Mario I, Brothers I, I'm hat. probably with you, right? It's like, the games were fun, but the iconography I could give or but take. But it's like weird yeah. because it's like, the iconography, for example, is like, I really enjoyed as a kid, um, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show with uh, oh, Captain Lou Albano and it was, it was very funny and cute and kind of the sort of thing you'd imagine. I really only liked the live action scenes. Yeah, the though. live action stuff was really fun. That's all I remember from Super and Mario Brothers. And the cartoons Brothers. were not so good. Like Captain N and all that, those cartoons, not very enjoyable as a child. We're the Mario Brothers and Plummins are game. We're yeah. not like the others who get all the fame. Yeah, like th- all that stuff was like really like, it was like, it was on... Like, it was off-model, but not so much that you were just like, what am I watching? You see, I was kind of intrigued that the Super Mario Brothers movie was kind of off-model. The fact that the fact that it had the iconography in it, but kind of transformed in this weird way. Well, it was probably because you felt that it was more real than it was in the video game. Yeah, right? that's it's right. It's like, it, it but, that's right. dignifies It seemed like an alternate interpretation. But I mean, like, a good example then is, like, I really enjoyed... Um, the Mortal Kombat games, I mean, that first film came out. But that's because it's exactly like, like the game. everything I want. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, it's like the characters are fleshed out, but they're very much in the style of the characters in the, in the game. The story is pretty much what you expect. Like, all the cool big beats, like Godo and everything is in it. You know, like, it was like exactly what I was looking for. Where Super Mario is just like, it's, it's kind of like a mental patient <laughs> scribbling with crayons. And as far as I know, that's what really it is. I actually think you're giving you a little too much credit because yeah. it's clearly just a piece of corporate hack work. Yeah, right. it's the thing that when you approach these kind of projects, the ones that are really successful, like Deadpool came out and people are like, everybody loves Deadpool. I wonder why. And it's, it's like, it's Deadpool. That, yeah, it's that's dead- what it is. He looks like him. He does all that stuff. When you take characters and you make them not what they are, people aren't going to fucking like but them. But like, like, I guess it's like weird to me because it's like... Um, like I, when I think of corporate hack work, I always think of like movies that are made and then they get ro- just progressively less good because the studio keeps interfering. Like, like all- Shaquille O'Neal Steel. But I, I guess yeah. I sense that with Super Mario Brothers <laughs> yeah. too because you sense that like these these this husband and wife team who made Max Headroom, they wanted to do like the edgy Blade Runner I, Mario. All, yeah, all I can imagine is that this movie was like going to look and feel like hardware. Yeah. Like, so much exactly. hardware. Well, there's a story of that, the fact that they wear the green and red overalls were forced on the directors, yeah. and they didn't uh, want to do that. Well, I think they were wrong. Yeah, they were very wrong. They gotta wear the red-green overalls. <laughs> yeah, so even you do want some... Yeah, I mean, I want some basic connection. Yeah. But, like, what is the video game? Like, what do people expect well, you for see, there that's to happen? What, you see, that's what's kind of interesting, because the video game it has no plot at all. Yeah. It's just it's just totally ridiculous. To, so to see... 
that ridiculousness put into some kind of order. Well, and I mean, it's interesting well because, like, I mean, this is a story you probably, everyone really knows about Mario, which is the only reason Mario is a tiny mustachio plumber, right? Is because there's only so many pixels. Mm-hmm. So when Shigeru Miyamoto was drawing out the Mario, he was like, okay, I need to distinguish his face so we can have a mustache, so we can see his nose, right? Mm-hmm. And he needs to see his arms move so he'll have overalls because then the blue and the red are actually on... Mario was original. Well, I think... The arcade game came first because we're talking about um, Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, and in that he is red and blue, right? It's yeah. only in the, in the first NES game he's like brown, right? Mm-hmm. So these all these reasons are just there. So he he ex- he only exists as design through necessity, right? And then you get something like um, the film where like there is no necessity, right? Everything is just completely insane off the top of these two people's heads, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it doesn't matter why it was created. It's just you like those things and you want those things recreated for you. I mean, but I don't know if I'm like, I mean, with Mario, it's like nowadays, I mean, I don't even as a kid, I was like so addicted to the idea of having to be like, oh, he has to be bright and colored from the Mushroom Kingdom. It's just that what you get is so miserable, miserable and removed, <laughs> right? It's, well, I mean, well, it's got a lot of jokes in it. Look at an example of something that didn't really like the source material either, but was a big hit, which was Brian Singer's first X-Men. Where Brian Singer feels ashamed of having to adapt these characters to the fact that the Wolverine character is like, oh, are you kidding? You're going to put me in yellow spandex or something like that? Mm. I hate that stuff as well, though. Mm-hmm. I hate when people are like, oh, we're better than this material. Of course. Yeah. Like, the, the reason that Deadpool is fun is because no one thinks they're better than that material, right? And that material is really dumb. <laughs> yes. And so it's like nice. They're like, yeah, this is stupid. Whatever. The first X-Men was kind of at the tail end of that period where, like, before, you know... And that's the problem. Uh, like, but before the Comic-Con era of studios, like, actually focus but, grouping I mean, this stuff it, with fans. It feels like the same problem to me as, as, as but the, both Tim Burton Batman films and then, um, what's his face? Joel Schumacher. Not Schumacher's. Oh, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's Batman films is, like, you just get the sense you're like, what? He dresses like a bat and fights people at night? That's stupid. I'm going to do this instead, right. you know? And it's like, I hate that. Like, it's so unpleasant. At least Joel Schumacher was like, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to go all in. So wait, so Matthew's saying Joel Schumacher film superior to Tim Burton's... Oh my god, so much better. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a minority opinion. Um, but I can sympathize. I have, I have only two things to say to you. Well, wait. Bane? Bat? Uma Thurman? Nope, two things. Nipples. Well, I, I wish I could remember how many words it is. Oh, are you going to say... I have four words to say I know you. exactly what you're going to say. Chicks dig the car. Nope. Come on. Kiss from uh, Rose. <laughs> Well, I mean, it had an unimpeachable soundtrack. I'm yeah, not going to deny fucking that. Fucking unimpeachable. Kiss. I thought you were going to say a Mr. Freeze pun. No. I got- you, honestly, I was saying, you didn't realize you were going to say Kiss Morose? No, I thought you were going to be like, ice to see you. I, and apparently, actually, that was a that was a studio interference as well. Because supposedly, um, Kiss Morose play over um, one of the sequences of... Um, um, Val Kilmer and whoever the love interest Nicole, Kidman. Kidman. Nicole Kidman but the studio was like no it can only go on the soundtrack and it actually only comes on the soundtrack after uh, a while in the credits hmm. which is a tragedy because the first song in the credits is U2's uh, Hold Me Through Me which Kiss is also U2's only good song <laughs> whoa <laughs> um, I, I recently read like a piece from like the AV Club or something where the guy's like oh this is like not very good U2 like sort of, sort of like an off cut from the Akatong Baby area and I was like this person's writing like someone who likes you too. That's disgusting hey, to me. Batman Forever is not good, but it's better than those Tim Burton movies. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, fighting words. God. I mean, right. I, I don't actually give a shit. <laughs> I don't really either. <laughs> all right, so we all just don't give a shit. 